This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state has filed a lawsuit against the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence and the former director, Tiffany Carr, the woman at the center of the scandal. That's the subject of our deep dive later in the podcast. The Florida House approves Kaya's Law, which is named in honor of a six-year-old Orlando girl who was handcuffed and arrested at her school last year. She watched from the gallery as it passed. Representatives approve a bill forcing public schools to spend the first couple of minutes each day in what the sponsors call a moment of silence. That's one way to get around the ban on school prayer. The reps are also taking a shot at public employee unions by passing House Bill 1, which would create a whole new layer of red tape for unions. The sponsor says it's about paycheck protection. Critics call it union busting. We'll also have your daily calendar of events, and today's Florida Man story is no laughing matter, unless you happen to be the Florida woman accused of huffing nitrous oxide on a slow drive through Clewiston. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, March 5th. A six-year-old Orlando girl who was handcuffed and arrested last year after a temper tantrum at school comes to Tallahassee to lobby for a law prohibiting the arrest of kids. Her name is Kaya, and House Democratic leader Keone McGee says her arrest touched a nerve in the Capitol. Over 30,000 kids since 2013 have been arrested who are under the age of 10. We believe something is fundamentally wrong with this. We also believe that our system should not be in the business of criminalizing childhood, especially when we're dealing with six-year-old children. A temper tantrum is no basis for handcuffs, restraints in a police car, or mugshots. Kaya did not want to talk to reporters, but her grandmother, Marilyn Kirkland, had plenty to say. Since this happened to Kaya, my family and I, um, we've been going through a whole lot of trauma, a whole lot of fallout, a whole lot of issues. And um, so I made it a passion of mine to try my hardest to see that this does not happen to any other child or any other family. It's unimaginable what it actually does to your family. And after speaking to co-workers, friends, family members, I found out that many of them, although their parents, they were not aware that this was possible for their child. They were not aware that in addition to having to raise our children properly, keep them safe from criminals, keep them safe from childhood illnesses, we also had to worry about our kids being criminalized now from the cradle. Not from the teen years, not from the adult years, but from the cradle. Kaya's law would prohibit the arrest of children under the age of 10 unless they commit a violent felony. Representative McGee says House leadership agreed to add that provision. Many of these legislators here are parents themselves. And when they really understand the reality of what took place, especially when you saw the actual video, you were able to put a conversation now with a practical sense of what truly took place that video was heartbreaking. Uh, that video will cause anyone who is in a, his or her right mind to come to a situation to say that the time is now uh, to change the laws, to change the rules, thereby protecting uh, young uh, Kayas of the world uh, from having this experience again. Kaya's law was introduced on the House floor as an amendment to the school safety bill on Wednesday, and it had to be approved by a two-thirds margin to pass. Kaya watched from the gallery as lawmakers voted. Clerk will lock the machine and announce the vote. 118 yeas, zero nays, Madam Speaker. The amendment is adopted.
Welcome to the Florida House, Skyla. The House has also approved HB1, which establishes a series of new requirements for public employee unions governing membership and dues. The sponsor, Representative Jamie Grant, calls it a paycheck protection bill. Opponents, including Representative Joe Geller, call it union busting. I'm opposed to this bill, and the main thing is I just don't think it's necessary. Representative Grant said himself yesterday that there's really not any statistical evidence that shows this is a problem. There are a few anecdotal reports, but the bottom line is we don't need this. We're trying to fix a problem that isn't a real big problem. Florida is already a right-to-work state, which means no one can be forced to join a union. And Representative Susan Valdez wonders why they're messing with unions when salaries are so low. I can't help but question why we are chipping away once again at the right to organize a union when Florida still lags behind the rest of the country in so many important metrics for workers. Florida ranks 40th in the medium wage and 34th in average wage. Florida ranks a paltry 45th in the nation for workplace safety. We are 38th in medium household income, yet now we want to make it more difficult for workers to organize. Florida is already a right to work state, though many would argue it should be called right to work for less. Lawmakers have spent a lot of time in recent years getting rid of what they call burdensome regulations. But Representative Anna Eskimani says this is the exact opposite. They're creating a whole new level of red tape for the unions. What this bill attempts to do through the use of red tape is implement administrative burden once more under the guise that it's good governance when really it's slowing down the process and making it more difficult for our police firefighters, uh, teachers, uh, public employees to be able to collectively bargain as our constitution allows them to and fight for better wages and better benefits within the institutions they serve. After the opponents had their say, it was up to the sponsor to make final arguments in favor of his bill. Representative Jamie Grant is one of those lawmakers who loves to debate on the floor and in committee, but not this time. He knew the votes were there. Is there further debate, further debate, Representative Grant, you are recognized to close. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Wave close. Having wave close, the question now recurs on final passage of HB 1. The clerk will unlock the machine and members will proceed to vote. Have all members voted? Have all members voted? Clerk will lock the machine and announce the vote. 63 yeas, 52 nays, Madam Speaker. Show the bill passes. The union bill may have passed the House, but it's gone nowhere in the Senate so far. It's been referred to three different Senate committees and has yet to be heard by a single one. Under normal circumstances, that would mean the bill is dead. But let's be honest here, just about anything can happen during the closing days of a legislative session. A bill requiring public schools to start the day with one or two minutes of silence clears the House. Representative Al Jacquette says the kids can use that time for meditation, silent prayer, or whatever their parents recommend. This is nothing to do with religion. This is not a prayer bill, but this affords every student the opportunity to calibrate in the morning. Our students are busy. They wake up straight to Facebook, straight to the television, straight to the radio stations, and they don't have time to just slow down. And here's a bill that encourages the parents to speak with their child and discuss what the moment of silence is and make suggestions to their own children 
on how they should use that time. There were the usual claims that this has more to do with prayer than silence, but the strongest objection came from Representative Spencer Roach, who said it will be a waste of school time. I oppose the bill because I believe that the most precious commodity, the most precious resource that our educators have is time. And when you look at two minutes a day, which equates to 40 minutes per month, which is equivalently six hours per calendar school year, that's almost the equivalent of one full school day. So what we are really doing here is we are creating a new school holiday of one day to allow our students to engage in six hours of self-reflection. I do not think that this is time well spent. I'm dubious that this time will be used for the purpose for which it is intended. We were all in high school at one point, and I can't think of a single one of my high school peers that given two minutes of unsupervised time at any point of the day would have used it for meditation, prayer, or self-reflection. If students are not encouraged or have not been brought up to engage in this type of behavior at home, they are certainly not going to undergo a sudden conversion and engage in this type of behavior at school when they are allotted two minutes of unsupervised time. I do not think that taxpayer dollars should be spent to have our children literally do nothing. That is not the purpose of a public taxpayer-funded school. The Minutes of Silence bill passed the House 96 to 29. Next up, a deep dive on Attorney General Ashley Moody's lawsuit against the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence and former director Tiffany Carr. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to Sunrise. Attorney General Ashley Moody and the Department of Children and Families are suing the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence, including their executives and members of the board. That lawsuit accuses the coalition of breach of contract, breach of the implied duty of good faith and fair dealing, and breach of fiduciary duty. Former Chief Executive Officer Tiffany Carr, who received more than $7 million in compensation over a three-year period, is also listed as a defendant. General Moody says Carr is accused of fraudulent concealment, fraudulent misrepresentation, negligent misrepresentation, and civil conspiracy. What gathers us together is greed. Greed of a scandalous scale. We allowed a government organization that received taxpayer funding to have contracting ability to disseminate funds while at the head of that organization was someone that was more concerned with their own pocketbook, their own compensation, paid time off. Indeed, one of the greediest people I have ever known in charge of a nonprofit. We allowed this person to take taxpayer money that was supposed to go to victims of domestic violence. It has become clear as a result of the investigations and the hearings of the Florida legislature that it was necessary that we take legal action against Tiffany Carr and against the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence to not only recover taxpayer money, 
but to preserve critical evidence to, insist, to assist in investigations against Ms. Carr. Not only are we seeking to preserve evidence and recover taxpayer dollars, we also will seek dissolution, possible reorganization of the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence. I am disgusted at the mismanagement and greedy misuse of public funds that were meant to assist victims of domestic violence across the state of Florida. The damage caused by the actions of Ms. Carr and the leadership at the coalition will certainly take time to repair. But today's action is aimed at recovering as much of the money that was wasted on executive compensation as we can to ensure that victims of domestic violence are safe and secure. The court-appointed receiver will take control of the coalition if granted by the court to preserve assets and forensic evidence as multiple investigations into the misappropriation, misappropriation of funds progress. This is a crucial step as these investigations unfold to make sure as legal actions unfold and the investigations continue that assets aren't further going uh, to officers or directors of this organization and that instead, as intended by our lawmakers, they are going to assist the 42 domestic violence shelters around the state of Florida. The actions of Ms. Carr and the actions of the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence are indefensible, and we are asking the court to take these extraordinary measures to ensure that victims and taxpayers are protected. This is not an announcement that anyone would ever want to make, uh, that we're seeking legal action to take over leadership and assets and evidence of an organization that was trusted to protect and provide resources to organizations throughout the state serving victims. Nonetheless, it is a necessary action. The governor has already signed a bill stripping the coalition of its exclusive contract with the state, and Department of Children and Family Secretary Chad Popple says his people have effectively taken over. Back when we filed this legislation, the things we know now, we didn't know. And so what we knew at the department was we, for over a year, had been trying to get information to justify the salary that was reported in the press and had been stonewalled. Um, and we knew that in routine contract negotiations, the coalition felt empowered to push back on fairly routine things. So there was kind of this culture of, of not being beholden to the department. But today really is about the survivors of domestic violence in Florida. For the last three days, we've been on the ground at the Domestic Violence Coalition assuming operational control. And so the DCF team has gone in and we're looking at all of the processes and all of the mechanisms necessary to make sure those dollars are still going responsibly to the 42 uh, domestic violence centers around the state that you referenced. And so that action has, is already ongoing. We're, we're several days in and I, I just want to thank your leadership, Madam General, filing this lawsuit today, um, I think is the natural next step on what needed to happen um, to possibly dissolve the organization in its entirety and allow um, 
allow the efforts to go in and investigate and audit and try to pursue some of these dollars, getting them back for the taxpayers. Representative Juan Fernandez Barquin sponsored the bill, stripping the coalition of its authority, and he's hoping this lawsuit will allow the state to recover money that ended up in Tiffany Carr's pocket. Unfortunately, I think overall, um, no one, no one won, not even Tiffany Carr. The victims of domestic violence lost, the state lost, DCF lost, and it was her greed that put us into this posture. And I expect that with this lawsuit, she will soon lose even more. And I hope that there will be uh, some sort of, a, in, besides the civil forfeiture, but some sort of criminal action. What she has done is just absolutely shocks the conscience. And one of the discussions I've had with Secretary Popple is that I look forward to working in the future any way I can help DCF to make sure and ensure that CBCs and the community-based care service providers um, are in fact doing their job and that the money allocated towards them is going uh, for their intended purposes. The House Committee on Public Integrity is still investigating the coalition. Tiffany Carr has been subpoenaed by the House, but she's refusing to return to Florida to face the music. She's apparently staying at her $2 million mansion in North Carolina, which may end up belonging to the state of Florida by the time this lawsuit is resolved. Your calendar of events today is a short one. The Senate meets at 10, the House meets at 10.30, the Florida Supreme Court releases its weekly opinions at 11, and staff members for Senator Marco Rubio are available to meet with constituents in Broward County at 10 in Hollywood City Hall and in Gadsden County at 2.30 at the Chattahoochee Library. Finally, it's time once again for the adventures of Florida Man, the female version. Deputies at the Hendry County Sheriff's Department say a Florida woman holding up traffic in Clewiston was high on laughing gas, and that was just the beginning of her trouble. 38-year-old Bracole Ranke was driving her pickup down State Road 80 at just half the legal speed limit. There were a dozen cars stuck behind her because it was a no-passing zone. When a deputy stopped to check on her, he says Ranke was laughing, couldn't keep her eyes open, and couldn't figure out how to roll down the window. They found that more than a dozen empty cylinders of nitrous oxide in the truck and 90 that were still full. Deputies also discovered small bags of cocaine and bath salts, along with $7,000 in cash. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Music